Welcome to Let's Get Lit Podcast, book club with a twist, where we do books, pods. Oh my god, I'm going to sneeze and it's going to be really annoying. Say watermelon to me. Watermelon, elephant, time capsule. I think it worked, maybe. Are you still sneezing? I'm a little bit nasally. Banana leaf plant. That worked. (laughs) (laughs) That was the ticket. You heard it here first? That's how you stop someone from sneezing. You say banana leaf plant. I think that's the secret. Um, so yeah, I feel like we're off to a great start as per usual. This is our second episode covering Anna Karenina and we've actually read the book this time. I listened to the book. That counts. I know. Someone read it to you. You read it. I spent 40 hours of my life listening that's how to long the audiobook Maggie Hall. Oh, well, I mean, that's not a bad way to live. I definitely would listen to many more hours of her. Oh my God, I read all of the pages of this book. Ew. And I told you I was doing back and forth between the audiobook and the pages, but at a certain point, this book was just so long that I had to do it as the book because the audiobooks take so long to read. Yeah. You can't see And I didn't an think audiobook. I would ever finish it. Like, who has 40 hours to just listen to a book? It took me a month. It took me a yeah. month to read this, and I spent an hour on my commute every day. Like, each way, listening to this audiobook. Well, cheers to finishing this book. What are we cheersing with today, Brandy? Um, Today, we are drinking, on theme, white Russians. Oh my god, we're so clever. This book is all about those white Russians. I bet no one saw that coming. But tell me, how delicious is this? It's actually really delicious. It's very creamy, and you know I don't love me some vodka, but... It doesn't taste like vodka, though. So we actually came full circle because our first drink was a cream-based drink also. Brandy milk punch. Yeah. And um, like the first time, I did a vegan version of this drink for me. I was going to say mine doesn't taste vegan. No. Yours has cream in it. So uh, White Russian is Kahlua, vodka, and cream. Um, the That's it? Yeah, it's only three ingredients. I didn't know there was Kahlua in it, but that makes sense. This is the easiest cocktail I've made, except for the drink that was just vodka. I mean, I was going to say this wasn't a Singapore... Was it Singapore Slammer or Slinger? Yeah. That one was complicated. This one was easy. Even I could have made this one. I know, you could have. But it's it's actually pretty easy. So the history of the White Russian was... So it... A black Russian, I guess, is like a more typical drink, or it's been around for longer, and it's more just vodka and Kahlua. And, oh. Well, I don't know, in the phase of, like, lazy cocktail making. So, Fair like, enough. the 50s. I was going to say, I don't think that there are that many black Russians, but I like that it's a drink. Yeah. I think it was in a more racist time, as Ugh. if there could be one. It was a more overtly racist time instead of, like, the covert racism. Thing. Yeah. People were more out in the open. Yeah. And just being horrible people freely. Yeah, we don't know anything about that in modern day life. No. That's totally, totally foreign the, concept. Yeah, totally behind us now. Anyways, back to White Russian. So the White Russian um, was invented, quote unquote, at some point in the late 60s when someone was like, I like my coffee with cream. I also like my vodka and Kahlua with cream. So they toss a little cream into a White Russian or into a Black Russian. And they were like, and now it's a White Russian. Um and that's the history of a white Russian. And you would have think you would have thinked you would have thought that it would have <laughs> soared in popularity after that because it's delicious and sweet and basically tastes like melted coffee ice cream. Mm-hmm. Um, but nobody really drank it until this is my fun fact about it: the Big Lebowski. Really? Yeah. So in the Big Lebowski, Lebowski drinks only white Russians. That's and like that's his, what popularized yeah. it? and it, like, wasn't a popular drink until that movie, and because he was super into it, 
then white Russians became a thing. So it sounds like it was probably never actually big in Russia. No, but like most of the cocktails that I select to pair with our books, they really have very little to do with what the people in the books would actually drink and it's more what, what we to would do think with about. I thought about before I read the book. Yeah, well, I was trying to even think like what drink did people drink a lot in this book? And I feel like it was just booze. Like they didn't really specify. Didn't specify. They I were just like, vodka. more wine. Oh, wine, probably. They were very into French culture in this yeah. book. They also, like, so I don't know. You'll have to tell me how it was in the audiobook because I mostly did the book. And to be clear, the Kindle book because the actual book's so heavy. So heavy. It will hurt your back. It'll hurt your back. It'll hurt your wrists. It'll hurt everything. It's an injury waiting to happen. But in the book book, there were lots of sections that were just like, they were, the characters were speaking in French. And I was like, cool, when are we going to translate this? So I was curious if that happened in the audiobook, too, or if they just translate it for you. Oh, they translated it for you. I should have done more of the audio. I should have done more of the book book, because I've been trying to learn French, so it probably would have been helpful. I mean, I just skipped past it and was like, well, they talked about something, and apparently it's none of my beeswax. I'll tell you that most of it was, like, flirting or talking about farming. Mm. Both things you don't care about. Yeah, I was like, it's fine that I missed that. <laughs> Especially if it was flirting while farming, because that just sounds like a sheep situation. I'm just going to go ahead and say you're wrong right there, because flirting while farming is the number one turn on. Have you never seen The Princess Bride? Where he like brings her down the pot and he's like, as, as you, wish. you wish. Exactly. That's flirting while farming. Farm boy. Exactly. You're right. You proved me wrong, Brandy. I know. Not often, but I'll give it to you today. That's my number one flirting. Every time I think about, like, how should I flirt? I'm like, how did Wesley flirt? But then I'm being the wrong person, and I should really be how Princess Buttercup flirted, which was basically like, you're Fetch me a water basket. Get me that thing. A water basket. (laughs) (laughs) Basically, like, I'm going to be really demanding and unrealistic. Yeah, exactly, which I think is how you nail them. Not nail a man. I was, There's other ways to nail yeah. a man. I was just going to say that also just like really sums up while I am alone. I'm like, how do you flirt? N- fetch me a water basket. <laughs> I just don't understand why I'm so alone. Use that the next time you go on a date. I will. I mean, I probably have. And I'm like, why Does Hinge have he like, call? or Bumble have like a tagline? I think, so I've, I've not used Bumble recently because like who wants to do all that work? Mm-hmm. I want to match with someone and then... Be like, well, if you message me, great. And if not, then you obviously are going to expect me to do all of the emotional labor. Wait, I have to tell you something. I had the best idea the other day for a dating app. What is it? It's really great. Are you going to tell the people and let them steal it from us? Yeah, because I'm I never, mean, they're part of the club. I'm never actually going to do this. But if you do this, you should totally name your dating app after Let's Get Lit. Yeah. And just like give us at least some cred. So here's here's how you do it. So for women, you just like log into the app and you you set like a series of like questions or like things that are important to you and a man, whatever. And for men... Like be this height, have like parameters or... No, they're like... Or like questions like... personality stuff. Oh, okay. But wait, That's wait. way less superficial. Yeah, it is. So, but here's the thing. But for men, when they log into the app it's like a game and so they have to like pass certain levels of the game in order to actually talk to a woman and be matched with them so the game is like is like you're going on a first date with a girl and like it gives you a scenario and it's like she shows up and it starts to rain 
what do you do? <laughs> and like, either like, A, give her your jacket, like, B, push her in a puddle. I was C, just going to say, like, push her in a puddle. That's C, what I would pick. <laughs> be like, I hope you don't melt, you witch, or something yeah, like that. And yeah. then if he passes enough levels, then he actually gets to talk to a human girl. And then I like it would this. weed out. But I mean, that's like a really easy one. I think there'd be more nuance to like some of the more advanced questions. Yeah. But if you passed all of the levels of like not being a shitty dude, and I think some should also be free response with like women able to like weed out by the free response answers. Yeah, I so think that that's fair. You know that the dude's like putting in effort, and, and not you just know like, that they know the difference between your and your exactly. It's it's an it's. Yeah, like you can set the parameters for what kind of questions matter to you, and then you can weed out people that way. And I think it would be good because guys tend to go on those dating apps and just, like, swipe, 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 swipe. Well, it is. It turns into, like, a game for people. However, I do think there's also something to... Not that I want to give, like, men any credit, but there is something from the male perspective of, like, a lot of girls are also on there just to be like, hey, I just want to see how many people are interested in me and I don't actually ever want to meet up. Like, I'm just here for, like, a confidence boost. So there should be something on the other end, too. Like, if you pass all of the levels, it doesn't let you, like, talk. It gives you, like, a location to meet up. Like, this person's a match for you, so you actually meet them and take away that, like, like back-and-forth messaging. Because I can tell you from experience, there's definitely been times where I'm like, I'm drunk, I'm going to find love. And then I get on my apps and I'm like, love, 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 love. And I wake up in the morning and I'm like, oh, what's all this love happening? I don't have time for this. I have a podcast to run. And then I never respond again. And I, you know. Ooh, you know what else we should do while we're on this podcast? Hey, podcast listeners, if you know a single guy who's really nice and feeds, meets the following criteria, at us on Twitter at Let's Get Lit Pod and tell he, us because we'll set him up on a blind date with, with Star. So, what's your criteria, Star? What? This is my question. Oh, does question. it even have to be a man? I, well, I mean, I have not historically been attracted to women, but like, if women will probably have. Yeah, if there's a real winner, like, I'm game. Let's go for it. But I guess my only question is what would you do with a water basket? <laughs> Best answer wins that day. Okay. Star. Can you please add us on Twitter um, with your answer to that? Hashtag water basket. Yeah. Okay. I think that's fair. Okay. I'm really okay. excited. I feel to like see I'm it. not going to die alone. Uh, anyway, I have one more fun Speaking fact. Speaking of dying alone, this book. Oh, but can You're I not say ready my. For it yet? Okay. I have one more fun fact before we get into the depression. Okay. Kalua is from Mexico. Really? Yeah, it's what does that not have to Hawaiian. Do with Russia, also that. Well, I never thought Kahlua was Mexican. Where did you think it was from? No, I always I, thought it was like a Pacific Island drink. I was gonna say I don't know that I ever thought about it, but I will say, it's often sold in Hawaii tourist shops, yeah. which gives the impression that it's Hawaiian. Yeah. Right. Is it not? Well, I mean, you're where, the one that looked it up. You tell me. Where are pineapples even from? Um, aren't they berries? Pineapples? What? Well, I think a pineapple is a berry. It's like a strawberry. You don't agree with me? Well, I, I don't know. You just mean like where, what? I don't, I don't know. know if a pineapple is a berry. I feel like I'm going to have to look that up because I feel like that's too hard for me to take your word on that. Okay, well. But I'm, maybe it is. Maybe. I don't. You know, they grow out of the ground opposite. 
Like the little fronds are on so the bottom. So they grow out of the sky? Is that what you're well, saying? Well, no, but like the little, I think the little fronds are on the bottom, and then there's like a flower that comes out of the pineapple butt. I'm so used to being the drunkest one on this podcast. What a treat. <laughs> <laughs> I'm into this white rush. <laughs> yeah, I'm like, clearly you found your drink. Okay, so you know I love milk-based drinks. <laughs> I mean, fake milk-based drinks. F- f- Someone has a mommy complex. Cow. Um, you want to talk about the book? Definitely. Oh my god. How do we want to start? It. So a lot of things to say. First thing I'm going to say, obviously just spoilers abound, right? Like we're going to yeah. jump right in. The first thing I will comment on, and I think we touched about, touched on this briefly in our last episode was like, I had not actually ever heard what the ending to this book was. I didn't actually know what happened. And apparently it's one of those like Romeo and Juliet's where everyone knows the ending. Yeah. So... It was funny because when I was telling people about the book, I was like, I'm not going to spoil this for you, but... And they're like, well, again, spoiler alert, she kills herself at the end. And apparently that's like what she being on a Karenina. And that's like widely known. And I had no idea. I knew it was going to be tragic and I knew things weren't going to like work out. But the book talks a lot, especially in the beginning, about like revenge. Yeah. And I didn't feel like there was really any revenge involved. So I guess my first question to you was like... What do you think the whole, like, revenge subplot is about? And do you feel like this is a vengeful tale? Um, I think it... Well, I mean, it's hard to kind of poise it as being an actual story of revenge. But I think it was vengeful in a lot of ways. Because I think, like, as the as the book progressed, I think that it was about mental illness and the way that people, like, kind of try to seek out vengeance on the people that they perceive have like wronged them for the reason that their life is the way that they that it is and I think for Anna Karenina I mean I feel like we should probably give some backstory for people who haven't read the book but it's really hard to summarize what this book's about okay let's start there but yeah and I so I guess that's my starting point is the book wasn't what I thought it was going to be and apparently I was alone but backstory so basically there's this woman named Anna Karenina shocker there's a ton of characters involved, so as Brandy said, it's kind of hard to summarize. However, essentially, she's a married woman. She's, like, an elite member of Russia, like, aristocratic society. She ends up having an affair with Count Vronsky, who is this, like, womanizer, womanizer, <laughs> you're the womanizer. But they have this, like, deep, loving romance and... All this other crazy stuff happens with other characters. There's this guy named Levin who's, like, really having an existential crisis in every book. He is pursuing this woman, Kitty. Like, their love story kind of happens in tandem to Anna and Count Vronsky. There's all these other characters. Really hard to summarize. But all (laughs) things considered, basically, like... Lots of love squares. Lots of love squares. You could even say love hexagons. Mm -hmm. Ultimately, Anna and Vronsky eventually decide to be together. And when she makes this decision to break with societal expectations, it's all about her downfall and how basically falling from social grace affects her, affects everyone around her. And eventually she goes mad and kills herself um, and kind of all of these other stories intertwine with that, but I feel like that's the best way to summarize it for the Cliff's Notes Yeah, I mean, I feel like you did that in, like, 90 seconds. 900-page book. (laughs) Yeah, 400 hours or 40 hours. It's a lot. There's a lot that's going on in this book, but I think that one of the cool things about this book is that it kind of moves 
at a pace that is reminiscent of how life actually moves. Like it's not a quick pace book. You they spend so much time talking about the thought process that someone goes through in any given scenario that it actually seems like it's kind of in real time how you would go through that thought process. Yeah. Which enables them to go through so much detail. And I think the character development in this book is better than in any book I've probably ever read. Like I knew more about every key player in this book and not just like their backstory, but their motivations for doing things like their thought process, the way they felt, the way that they felt like their musings about things that were unrelated, so to speak to the like plot point at hand. Like you knew about how they felt about different types of weather and how they felt about, (laughs) I mean, how they felt about different types of food or how they felt about people pronouncing things weird in a different language. Religion and politics, like the smallest and biggest things Mm -hmm. were all covered. And it is funny because I feel like this is probably the most character-driven novel I've ever read. Mm-hmm. Just because at the end of the day, I did watch the movie too. And I was like, oh, it's going to be like three hours. The movie was less than two hours long. And then when I actually watched it, I realized, yeah, because not that much happens plot-wise. It's actually pretty... Like, if you go through everything that happens in the plot, it's not that much. There's just so much time spent in the characters' heads really Mm -hmm. understanding, to your point, like, what motivates them, what they care about, what their opinions are about small matters. But also just, like, I feel like in a lot of books you read, and especially, like, romances or anything like that, there's this kind of, like, end goal that you're pushing towards, and... The fact that you mentioned in our last episode, like, this was actually meant to be read as a series, that's how initially it was written, Mm -hmm. made so much sense because it's like the characters evolve so much. Yeah. And they get what they want, they, like, fail, and then it keeps going. So there's no, like, I don't want to say it's anticlimactic, but it's just like there's all these mini climaxes and... It never reaches a point where you feel like this is the climax of the book. I mean, yeah. arguably, Anna killing herself. But, but even that, going. it just, yeah. it kind of keeps going. Like, hey, the world keeps turning. Like, everything didn't stop. Like, yeah. it affected certain people's lives more than others. But it wasn't like the world ended. Which a yeah. lot of times in books, like, plots are set up like that. There's this moment, and then it's the aftermath. and. Yeah. I just thought it was a really, really, probably one of the more realistic plots I had ever read. Um, But yeah, I I don't know. I really, really, really liked it and I enjoyed reading it. It just took for fucking ever. Yeah, I mean, I think that this is a hard book to read if you have any sort of constraints in your life whatsoever. Like, this is like a prime book to read in like... Over the course of a year. Last week of gestation where you can't do anything other than just like lay there and wait for your vagina to produce a child. Wow. I don't think I would read this while pregnant given the subject matter. There's a lot of like women being like, oh my God, these men are going to leave me and I'm dependent on them and I'll be ruined forever. Don't you feel like that? I've never been pregnant and or had a baby. I guess those are related. Um, But I feel like I would be very hormonal and apt to want to read stories about men wronging me so that I could have a point of justification for the unbridled anger that I'm feeling for no reason. Because I, I do guess. get hormonal and really angry for no reason, and I need to blame it on something. So I feel like if I had a book or something, I could just be like, this is why I'm angry. I mean, But in I reality, guess. I just hate everything because hormones. I mean, yeah, I get that for sure. 
And I think probably at the beginning of the book, I would have been like, this is the perfect period read. However, it does, it gets not slow at times, but it just kind of meanders and Mm -hmm. it takes its time. And if you are like looking for a really soapy, like, oh my God, so much action. This is probably not the book for you. It's like everyone has really reasonable explanations for how they act and why they behave the way that they do. Um, and Sorry, I just ruffled the chocolate I know, wrappers. You really ruined everything. Um, but I think that brings us to a good point, which is just like Anna Karenina as a character. I know you mentioned mental illness. I think that's important. She, everyone in this book is complicated. She has got to be one of the most complicated and difficult to love characters that I've ever read, even though there's so many parts in the book where I'm like, I relate, but I feel like, and I don't want to minimize anything about her because I also think you have to talk about her context and what Mm -hmm. she was going through and it's not equal to what anyone else in the book is going through. But I'm just like, oh man, you are day two of my period. You are on a corona. Yeah, Yeah. like constantly. And I'm just like, I get it. And then I'd be like, oh, I'm past the menses. And now I feel like you might be overreacting, ma'am. Well, I feel like there was, I mean, so her story, like you said, is really complicated. And I mean, essentially what happens is she's married to some guy and she's like kind of unhappy in that marriage. They're not in love. Like he's not a bad guy necessarily, but... But in the beginning, she seems, like, relatively contented. Like, she's not looking for something else. She goes to visit her brother and sister-in-law because they're having marital troubles. And she's like, stick it out. That's what you do when you're married. And then while she's there, she meets this hunky dude. And she's like, JK, I want more fun (laughs) in my life. And then she, like, literally ends up kind of unraveling her entire life and finding out, like... I think she reached a point where she, she had a mirror kind of held to her face. And she was like, yeah, I'm not happy and I'm so in love with this other person and I'm just going to make all these really stupid decisions because I'm in love with this other person. And then like when her husband finds out about it or she tells him about it and he like gets pissed off and then like forgives her and basically gives her every opportunity to come back into her marriage or like not do whatever she wants to do. He's like, I forgive you. I'll accept you. Whatever you want. I will do literally whatever you want. And she's just like, I resent the fact that you are a better person than me. (laughs) And so I will self-sabotage for the rest of my life because I refuse to be happy. Basically, she feels like, I think she feels like she doesn't deserve her own happiness or like something, but she just cannot stop like shitting on every opportunity that's given to her. Well, I really like the fact that you said like this moment of like kind of holding up a mirror to herself because that was actually something in the movie. And this is again, the Kira Knightley version they constantly have these scenes where it's like she's looking in this mirror and I felt like that made that part of the book resonate even more to me where I felt like more than it being about like this romance with Vronsky, it was Mm -hmm. like he was the first person that made her hold a mirror up to her life and realize like that I'm not happy. Like I'm just living Mm -hmm. the life I'm supposed to live. And is this all there is? And as soon as she's exposed to something else where she realizes there might be more, she wants to take a risk and go for it, but it's like there's real consequences there yeah. and there's reasons people don't kind of take this risk. She's, you know, a fallen woman. Women. Mm-hmm. She's multiple women at this point. She's a fallen woman when she decides to openly go public with her relationship mm-hmm. with Vronsky. And she gives up her relationship with her son, all of these other things yeah. that are consequences of making this decision. 
And at a certain point, her love for Vronsky is not enough. Like, she's not happy when they settle in together. They have a child. That's not enough for her to be happy. And it is just something where I think she starts to see herself more and more. And I don't kind of absolve her of all blame because, as you mentioned, like, her husband, everyone gives her, like, what do you want? There's every option at your disposal. You just have to pick something And she realizes there's no way she's ever going to be happy. And part of that is, like, she cannot, you know, I don't want to say have her cake and eat it, too. But she is not free. No matter what she decides to do, she always has to sacrifice something. And how do you choose between, you know, the love of your child for the love of someone you want to be with and the need to be free? Nothing is her choice. She just has to kind of go along with everything that's surrounding her. And... She's scorned publicly for her decisions where, like, as you mentioned, her brother is carrying on this affair at the beginning of the book. He's able to move about in society, no problems. Everyone's able to forgive him. She's held to a different standard. And I do think she made things as difficult for herself as they could possibly be. I also think she suffered from addiction and actual mental illness. Yeah. But... This has to be one of the only books I read where when she decided to kill herself, I'm like, honestly, girl, it's probably the only way out. Okay, I did not feel that way, but... What could she have done? Well, I think, like, she was... I think that she shouldn't have stayed with Vronsky. I think she should have left him, left her husband, and just been like, I'm going to take the money that you said you would give to me and, like, go try to fucking make it on my own somewhere. And I know that was, like, obviously not a thing that people did then, but she'd made so many shit decisions. I don't so think that was ever decisions. an option. Her, her husband was like, I'll give you whatever you want at, like, multiple occasions. She could have just asked him for money, and he would have given her money. I don't think that there was any point where he would have been like, no. Well, he did when she asked for a divorce, like, actually formally. Forever he was like, yeah. you want a divorce? I'll give you a divorce. Yeah. And at a certain point she was like, okay, can I have a divorce? And he was like... Um, I'm listening to this crazy religious lady now, and no, you can't have one. And I just, that was the part where I felt like, yeah, she doesn't really have any good options, but it would drive me crazy where she was like, if I choose this, here's the trade-off. If I choose that, here's the trade-off. And I was like, betch, that's life. There's always a trade-off. You gotta make a decision. But I think that's why she was so frustrated is because it was like, I don't have, like, at a There's certain no point, she gets, yeah, and she gets paranoid about Vronsky and is like, he doesn't love me, but then, oh my God, what if he leaves me for another woman? Because at this point, I'm a fallen woman. I can't go back well, to my husband. If Vronsky leaves me, I'm ruined. I feel like this is, there's so many, there's so many layers here. First of all, this whole system of like, you can't get divorced, and if you do or if you leave your husband, you're like scorned by society, bullshit. Second of all, I feel like, what she should have done in the very beginning is, like, gone and had her affair with Vronsky and, like, lived it out to his fullest, lied to her husband about it the whole time, and, like, let him be paranoid and weird. And then when she, like, got bored of Vronsky, which she was going to do inevitably, she could just go back to her husband. Like, she should have lied to her husband and said, like, this kid's yours. She should have just, like, done all the things that people do when they have affairs instead of, like, being like, I need to have everything the way that I want it. Like... When people have affairs like that, people don't leave their spouses. Like, well, it's funny it just that... generally doesn't happen that way. Like, people don't leave their spouses. They like are married to someone and they do fucking stupid shit, and then they're like, "Well, that was stupid." Well, it's funny because her husband, even at many parts in the book, is like, 
if you need to have your freaking affair, just have it, but don't let anyone know about it. Exactly. Like, don't publicly shame me. And, like, Vronsky's mom, Vronsky's family members, they're like, if you want to have a torrid affair, awesome, great, happy for you, you're a young strapping lad, do it. But, like, don't make it known and don't, yeah. like, commit your life to this person. I Everyone actually... Everyone knows this is how you have an affair, but guys. That, that was one of the things that I actually thought, like, because Vronsky and Anna are both, like kind of annoying childish yeah. like they're a little bit obnoxious they're just entitled they're and entitled narcissistic exactly. yeah like they've got a lot of flaws but one of the things again with the fact that we live in these characters heads for so long like Tolstoy doesn't let you just see people as one dimensional and I actually that was something that I admired about them was that they both were like I have to like I have to have, like, integrity about this thing. Like, this is real. Our love for each other is real. And they were like, we can't be fake about this. Like, we can't hide it. And we can't, like, for Vronsky, he was like, I can't pretend this is just an affair because this is my love and I will do anything for her. Uh. And Anna was like, he would. And Anna was like, I need, like, this is real love and I can't, like, I can't, now that I've seen this, I can't go back and I can't live in this fake marriage anymore. How old are they supposed to be? Um, so Anna, I think she's supposed to be like, I want to say late 20s or early 30s. I'm pretty sure she's early 30s because I remember at one point, Vronsky's definitely in his 20s. Like she was slightly older than him. Mm-hmm. Um, and Kitty, who Kitty was, was a like woman who at the beginning of the novel is like being courted by Vronsky. And then Vronsky ends up being like, oh, Anna, what a babe, and goes for her instead yeah. of Kitty, and it causes all this drama, etc. But she was, like, 18, and Vronsky yeah. was, like, a little older than her, and Anna was a little older than him, and, yeah, what a mess. Well, the main reason I say that is because I feel like when you're kind of young and in love, like, that feeling of, like, I'm never going to feel like this about anyone ever, I will do anything for this, and, like, that's a familiar f- feeling, but then when you look back at yourself at that point, you're like, you're so dumb. And so it's like almost when you feel that kind of in love or like passion at any other point in your life, you're like, let me check this real quick because I actually could be happy with someone else. I could be happy in the future. And like, I feel super into this right now. However, if this were to like fizzle and die, I could be happy again. You know, and I think that like that's something that comes with the comes with the process of being in multiple relationships is that like when you feel super in love and then you end up breaking up with that person or for whatever reason it just kind of falls apart and like you feel devastated but then you're happy again at some point in your future Mm -hmm. I think that like they didn't have the ability to put that relationship in perspective because I think if they did like if they'd had these affairs or if they'd had relationships before and like fallen in love and fallen out of love then they would have been able to see it with some sort of clarity and been like yes, this love is, like, true and genuine and wonderful, but a lot of times, like, the success of a relationship is not about how much you love the person. It's about, like, do your external factors, like, work for you and do you love this person and, like, can you make all these other things work? Otherwise, like, if you have all the fucking... If you have everything stacked against you, you're fucked. What a pragmatist. Someone I am is a pragmatist. not a romantic I'm not all. a romantic. But let me just say this, and it's I know true. I've already referenced this, but, like, this is not something that's possible like 
For Vronsky, I actually think he deserves, I mean, me giving credit to a man. I think he deserves a lot of credit for, like, he actually seemed to understand, like, Anna is completely dependent and reliant on me and would give her a lot of room to be, like, really, really unreasonable about things because he's like, I just love her. Like, I think he truly loved her in a way that was like, she can do no wrong. She is the love of my life. Where Anna, I felt like she could not step away from anything and be like, you know what? I had this love and now I got to do what's best for me because she had no freedom. Everything was tied up in having to ask for permission. Even when she wanted to negotiate things with her husband, she would have to get her brother involved. Like you cannot separate her story from like the fact that she was a woman in this day and age in Russia. Like it's hard for me to do that. I know, but that's why I'm just saying like, It's difficult because she is a difficult and tempestuous woman, Uh but like it's hard to measure her fairly because she has these other things going on, but she could be pretty fucking annoying. And definitely at the end of the book, I was like, I just, I mean, you're watching her go through this like nervous breakdown where she's falling apart, but where you're like, oh my God, like you've just got to like get a grip But she's, like, taking morphine every night. Everyone's just trying to placate her. And she's just totally gone off the deep end. And it was only a matter of time before she ended it all. I wonder if therapy would have helped her. Maybe. Therapy helps everyone. That's true. Everyone should go I can speak for everyone and say everyone should go for therapy. You know there's, like, all these new, like, texting therapies and stuff like that? I feel like that sounds good. How does that sound good? I will say, like, as someone... Because I like to text and communicate with people that way. I'm just saying, like, ugh, everyone that doesn't go to therapy, you're wrong. Um, (laughs) Well, no, but... Okay. But let me just say this about therapy. The value of therapy more than anything else, like, people are like, I gotta find a therapist I really connect with this, that, or the other thing. It's really much more about, like, having conversations with someone and have them get you to say things out loud that you didn't acknowledge before. And then you make those connections yourself. Like, a good therapist isn't telling you what you think. They're, like, pulling out of you what you never think about. And then you have these, like, aha moments where you realize, of course, like, I've always known this. I've just never put it together in this way. Or I've never connected all of these dots because these are the things that are upsetting. And I try not to look at these parts of my life. So it's just about having someone pull that out of you and that's not going to happen over text message. That okay. Sounds so hard. It's not hard. I mean, it's basically podcasting except you're talking to a licensed professional. But this right now, this is therapy brandy. Get it out. Get it out. Why does Anna really bother you? What parts of yourself does she remind you of? Um probably like my younger self or I'm just like stupid. I do like this is going to sound so bitchy, but I was like, I really thought you were going to be like the part of me that was like, I'm so beautiful and I resent all of you for being fucking ugly. Can we talk about the fact that that was an actual part in the book where like she... You thought that was what I would relate to? (laughs) So I know no one knows what Brandy looks like, but she's such a babe and like it is just funny because like Anna is like pretty girl problems. Where she, like, runs around and is just like, it's fine, I'm nice to people and whatever. And as she kind of starts to slip into this madness, she's just like, you ugly piece of shit. Like, she's like, I can't bear to look at any of you. You're so disgusting. And I was like, 
I feel like this is something all pretty people must secretly think where they're just like, Ugh, look at them being not pretty like me. <laughs> I mean, as team ogre, I don't know, but I, I thought that's where you were going with this, but First whatever. Of all, I think that we can both be as stunning or ogre-ish as we choose to be at any moment. <laughs> okay, well, that's not the part you related to. It was just what I was expecting okay. you to say. Can I also tell you something really funny? If it's funny. So I'm going to show you the pictures of this, and I'm not going to put them on the internet, so I need you to like appreciate what they are for what they are. Okay. But um, there was a point a while ago when I sent you slash group text pictures of like me prior to getting ready and then me after I got ready mm -hmm. and it was like a real lady bogs moment it was a quite the transformation yes. and Tuesday. so I sent or I didn't send I was looking through pictures the other day because I was trying to clean up my photo library and I showed my fiance those pictures mm -hmm. and he was like he was appalled. He was so appalled that, that you I had sent that out. No, that I even looked like that. <laughs> I mean, can I, I just like, say, like, you're gonna wake up to this guy for the rest of your life. He's got to get used to it. I know. I was like, um, you know what I look like, okay? I'm, no one's trying to like pull the fucking wool over your eyes here. I, you've seen the best and worst sides of my face. A lot of the worst sides of my face. I'm trying to find the picture because I feel like you could really appreciate oh, it. But there's, like, there's a double chin. There's, like, round glasses. And then I look full. Oh, here it is. Okay. So here's the first one. Yeah. Like, real. Oh, and glam. Yeah. You've, the before Can and after, for sure. Can you explain to people? I mean, how do I explain it? She looks like. I a, look like where's Waldo? A greasy turtle. <laughs> Who, I don't know, has some bags under the eyes and a lot of regrets. And then the next picture, she's Anakaranana pre-affair. Right? Anyway, I definitely almost lost my future so husband over those pictures. I guess what you're saying is you can relate to being an ugly piece of shit I'm like the rest of us. that, like, putting in effort... I feel like I can really win people over with my beauty. Fair enough. But when I just wake up like this, nobody's nice to me. <laughs> You're like, I don't get... No one holds the door open for me when I wake up in the morning. No, that's accurate. Fair enough. Well, I feel like we've talked a lot about Anna, but honestly, like, she's the most interesting character. But I would just like to say, so again, we've briefly touched on Kitty, who is this, like, young ingenue who's just... I bet just like the fucking human equivalent of like banana oatmeal. Definitely. Well, I was gonna say I feel like not to use a literary term and be like smart, you guys, but I she's definitely Anna's foil. Where it's just like Anna who takes all the risks and does everything she's not supposed to do as a wife, and then you have Kitty who's like, I'm the perfect wife and mother, and I only do what's right. I'm Kitty Meow. That's Kitty. But and like, it's nutshell. more like Kitty Pure. Purr. But can we also talk about, so Kitty, yeah, I can't purr or I would. Purr. There you go. Star did that, totally. Um, well, so um, Levin is, again, one of the main characters in this book, and he's just like uh, a farmer with a lot of feelings, I bet. Guess is the best way to refer to him, but he's like, I want a family and I want love, but also I want to be left alone in the forest. 
And he has some of the best passages in this book. Oh, yeah. Because he has, like, a dog who's a close companion. And at certain points in the book, it's, it's like from a, the dog's yes, perspective. Exactly, which is the best. <laughs> like, the dog's like, could you get your shit together? There's I'm birds hunting. everywhere. Yeah, like, there's all these points where the dog's like, I don't have time for your shit. There's a bird. Izquierda. <laughs> Let's get this done. Um, anyways, love that part. But also, yeah, like, Levin is obsessed with Kitty. It is the beginning of the book, I would say, is like really action packed, really yeah. dramatic. So, like, the ball. Yeah, like the ball, all this stuff happens. Levin, like, proposes to Kitty and she's like, I've got a thing for this dude, Vronsky. Sorry. Specifically, she says, It cannot be. Yeah, it cannot be because, like, it cannot like, be so. I am, you know, she doesn't I've even say why, though. She's just like, No, but he sees the writing on the wall because he sees the relationship. Like, he sees that she's like, Oh, Vronsky. Fan, 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 fan. Can I just say, though, that the way that they actually said, like, I love you, I love you too, was kind of adorable. Oh, then I they spelled it, it out with the blocks. That part I actually did think was adorable. Like, Do you really want to tell them how they express their no, for it. each other? So essentially they had these blocks. I don't know if it's a game or something of that nature, but like Levin and Kitty had not seen each other forever. She at a certain point when she realizes that Vronsky never Wait, loved her, like has this nervous really breakdown. Did your book say that it was blocks? Because mine said they were writing. Mine said like these blocks that they're putting together. Oh, okay. It's like anyway, letter blocks. Mine literally said that they were writing. Oh, well, again, different translations, so it's weird. Um, but yeah, so they hadn't seen each other forever. Like Levin had been very like, I'm offended because she's rejected me. And Kitty's like, I rejected the only man that ever loved me for this guy that never cared about me. I'm so humiliated. Neither of us will ever love again. We'll just be spinsters for life. I get it. Spinsters for life. Um, so, yeah, they get back together at this Hashtag party. Hashtag water basket. <laughs> Hashtag Who's carrying your water basket? Just you. Um, that's not a hashtag. Ignore me. Anyways, back to cute blocks and or writing. So, Ron, not Vronsky, Levin and Kitty end up at the same party together. And they are, like, just starting to talk again. And they basically start spelling out to each other, like... I guess acronyms is the best way you could describe it, but it's like full on sentences. So it's like, did you say no because this or that? And it's like just the first letter of each word. And so like Levin's spelling something out to Kitty and she's able to read it and like know exactly what he said and vice versa. So it's as if they just completely understand each other and they don't need the words because they're so on the same page. That's how he proposes. Yeah, he proposes. They say, I love you to each other in this way. And it actually was pretty adorable. And I was like, oh, fuck, that's cute. It was cute in a way where, like, my my, water basket overfloweth. My, like, jaded self that was like, I hate all romance was like, that's kind of romantic. Well, no, I think it's not. It, like, seemed like a very genuine thing. It wasn't like they were trying to, like, trick the other person into anything. They were, it was just, like, a really sweet, genuine, like, we're both afraid to be vulnerable. And yet we're going to try to be a little vulnerable anyway. And it worked out. And it was, well, like, and they had both, it was really cute. They'd both already been humiliated. Yeah. So it's like, Which what do we have left to, to lose? We have no pride left. Let's just go all in. But yeah, the, the two of them end up together. I did think it was interesting because it's like their relationship was so counter to Vronsky and Anna. Like mm-hmm. theirs was like so stable and loving and like. It was a lovely relationship. It was. And I mean, I guess in the end they end up together. But I don't know. What did you think about the ending of this book? In terms of like Levin's kind of like 
ruminations on the meaning of life and spiritualism. And we don't have to get that into it because it's like real highbrow and I'm real lowbrow. But I was... I think it's worth like contextualizing a little bit. So basically what happens at the end of the book, like after Anna dies... Again, like life goes on. That was not... Levin and Kitty have been married, and Levin's kind of, like, blah about it for a little while. And I think that he basically summarizes how he feels about everything. Like, he, he like, desires a desire. Like, he is just... It's not that he doesn't love Kitty. It's not that he doesn't like her. It's not that, like, he's mad or upset. Like, he just is kind of, like, discontented with everything. And he's like, maybe I don't love her. Like, I don't really feel anything strongly about her at all. He even at a certain point... I don't want to say contemplate suicide like Anna, but he thinks about, like, at a certain point, he realizes, like, there's no reason for him to be alive. Like, what is the purpose exactly. of his life? Yes. Which I think is the something that only people who have a lot of free time can think about. <laughs> but, so, I mean, so basically what happens is, I think there's, like, a storm or something. Is that what happens? Yes. There's a storm, and he can't find Anna, or he can't find Kitty or the kids, and he's, like, genuinely worried that something happens to them, and he thinks that they probably died. And then he's, like, running around frantic and, like, oh, my God, what if I lost them? Like, my life would be over. And then he finds them and he's, like, actually, I really do love you. And I think, I mean, it's kind of, like, the Lifetime movie hallmark of, like, you need to be afraid of losing someone before you can, like, really see how much you value them. But this was probably, like, the OG of that. (laughs) The OG hallmark movie. Well, I mean, genuinely, because after that, he's kind of, like, okay, well... You know, it totally reframes his perspective on life and what matters and what he values and everything. And it does get a little deep in terms of his philosophy on life and whatnot. But it ends on a note of him just finding value in, like, the smaller things in his life and the relationships. And, like, maybe that's what life's purpose is. Well, I really liked... So, I think you also mentioned in our last episode that... Tolstoy actually based Levin on himself. Mm-hmm. Like, so that was kind of his medium to express his own opinions about things. So I did think anytime Levin was quote unquote on screen, it tended to be like a little bit like, I'm just going to philosophize my beliefs about everything. Mm-hmm. But I did think the ending was kind of beautiful one because it's like Anna had died. She'd killed herself and fully given up. And Levin's going through this period where he's like, my life has no purpose, my life has no meaning, and now that I know that, how do I go on? And mm-hmm. But he also said, I will never kill myself. Like, that's not what it is. I just am realizing, like, the futility of my existence. And you're mm-hmm. like, wow, you're really, like, on your period, dude. But, like, then the storm happens, puts everything in perspective, and he realizes, like, I really love my wife, I love my children. But he does have this moment at the end of the book where he's kind of like realizing like he's thinking really deeply about religion I don't want to get into it because it's just a lot to cover but he essentially is just like having all these feelings where he's like you know the real meaning of life it can't be like quantified in this way like he's just having this really existential yes this existential moment and he like looks at his wife and it's like she gets it but it's also kind of like she doesn't like I'm on my own journey and we're all on our own journey and it just converges in these different ways but it's like he's okay with the fact that like it's he's finally yeah. had this moment where he's always been this independent person where he can never relate to other people and he finally realizes like 
everyone is having that in their own kind of little bubble and we don't all have to see things the same way we all just like are driven by the same like need to be human and the need to like take care of each other and love each other and I did think it was a very beautiful ending although I I was like painful and hard to digest did you I just mostly because I am not in touch with my emotions and I like to keep because you don't go to therapy I know well that's I really liked it because out of all the characters I related the most to Levin because, like, what a piece of shit. (laughs) But no, but I was just like, you overthink things, sir. And all you do is, like, hike with your dog and same. Um, But you, like, shoot and stuff, whatever. But so I did, I really liked that part at the end where it's Mm -hmm. like, he's always been having this kind of, like, I'm different from everyone. I'm always alone. And all he wanted was to, like, have a partner and be connected to someone. And then when he finally got that, he still felt like I'm still alone and I still don't have this. And it felt like it came full circle for him and for everyone in the book too, because everyone had had their own experiences and they'd all touched or like negatively affected each other in some ways. And I just thought it was a really beautiful ending in Brandy's yawning. And this is the shit I put up with you guys. all this Kahlua. I'm like, so let's talk about my therapy. And Brandy's like, Yawn, so many feelings. No, I I actually thought that this is probably one of the better books I've ever read. And it's, it did, I wouldn't say it felt like a chore. Did, was that a bad chocolate you just ate? No, it was delicious. Okay. I wouldn't say the book felt like a chore, but I think that reading this book at your own pace when you have the time to like actually be like contemplative. Mm-hmm. Con- contempl- where, yeah, where like, you felt like we have a deadline because we're... Covering this at a certain point. There's just like, I mean, I think that this book is like one of the best reflections of humanity that I've ever seen. Like Mm -hmm. it's, it's pretty incredible for what it is. And the fact that it kind of holds the test of time after so long is, I mean, a testament to how talented Tolstoy is at really capturing the human condition. But I, I also feel like just the pace of, of life now, it's a really hard book to read Yeah, because the world moves so fast. But so I hope that if you guys do decide to read this book or if you've already read it, that you have the time to revisit it over some downtime during the holidays because um, is that's like a perfect time to do something with this is when you can kind of take a little mental break from the other things that are you're dealing with and just know that all happy families are alike and each unhappy family is alike in its own way. Way to, happy in its own way. I was going to say a way to almost quote the beginning of the book, but you got there in the end. It's a great quote. It and is. I think it genuinely sets the tone for this entire book. It's perfect. And so, like, when I started reading the book, I was like, oh my god, I love this. And I ended up going out and actually buying the book because I felt like regardless of how it ended, I knew I was going to want to come back to it at points where there were sections that I just, like, I wanted to, like, dog ear so many pages mm-hmm. and so many quotations. And... Yeah, I just, I really loved it. And the more we talk about it, the more I love it even more. But I think we also like a little bit offline had talked about the fact that we were like, oh man, like it was just really long. And it was also something that you're like, we've kind of read this story before. So sometimes Mm -hmm. it's hard to accurately judge these books because you're like, there's been so much derivative literature and novels and books and those are all the same thing yeah. movies you could say um that have been written in a kind of a similar vein but so I will just say as I mentioned in one of our previous pods the first episode 
The Awakening, which is one of my all-time favorite books. When I read this book, I was like, this is a way longer version of The Awakening. And I stand by the fact that, like, if you don't want to read Anna Karenina, <laughs> read The Awakening. And it's just a shorter version of that book in New Orleans. So, like, you'll get the exact same experience, more or less, I promise you. Um, but with brandy milk punch instead of white Russian. Yeah, so that's like the one difference. It just really depends on if you want brandy or if you want vodka. Um, so I just, it was hard for me. Like, I know we're getting to the ratings portion of this section, and I've really debated. Like, I think my natural rating was like a 9.5 out of 10, where I didn't give it a 10 out of 10 just because I was like, I've read books I've loved more, and... It wasn't something that I was, like, obsessed with, but I enjoyed reading it. And yeah. I felt like it was really important, and it's definitely something that I'll read again and I'll come back to. Yeah. But honestly, like, the more we talk about it and the more I think about other books I've loved, I'm like, none of those books could have been written without Anna Karenina. And yeah. it's hard because this is one of those classics that I'm like... It still stands up today, and that it's in and of itself is incredible. And from, like, an entirely different culture. Yeah. Like, this is not a book where, I mean, I have no ability to relate to the Russian aristocracy in, like, the I wish. 1600s. Like, Other than drinking white Russians, that's well, as close as I get. I mean, but, but, like, the human condition is so similar, or not similar, but, like, it's it's kind of timeless. Like it doesn't change how people interact with each other. The circumstances can change. The scenery can change, but how people feel about the people that they're around and how they interact with people like that doesn't change. And it's culturally similar as well. You mm-hmm. know, anyway, what, what would you, you rate it? I was going to give this a 9.5. The oh only my God, reason, we match. The only reason I don't give it a 10 is because I feel like it's hard to read because it's so long. And I don't know if cutting some of the volume out of this would have made it better, but I think that you probably could have trimmed some of, like, the farming. Farming out? Yeah. <laughs> it's funny, though, because I did, like, But I liked those... it when it was happening. Yeah, I liked it. Like, I never found myself resenting, like, why are you on this tangent? Yeah. I would say, like, I agree with you in that I feel like the flaw of reading this book was that we did it too quickly. Yeah. I agree. And I think if it was something where I was, like, reading this in the background over the course of the year, I would say, like, it was perfection and it could not be improved upon. Yeah. Because I cannot think of anything in the book that could have been better. Like, 100% you could have cut two-thirds of the book out mm-hmm. and the plot would have remained the same and it would have been a good book. It's not but you, about the plot. But that's... Exactly. Like, it's about the characters and it's about... Like you said, like the human condition and what everyone has in common. And Mm -hmm. it takes really being able to live in all of these people's heads to see that. So I don't know. That's why I'm like, initially I was like, "Eh, probably 9.5. I just, you know, I can't ever give anyone a 10. I know. Because it's like too much. But I think I'm going to go up to like a 9.8 for this one. Really? Just because I, yeah, I just, I don't know what he could have done different. Like anything that I say he could have done differently. I'm like, no, I get why he... Wrote it the way he did. And I think it was almost perfection. This is our highest rated book ever. I don't know if we'll ever hit another high point. I was just going to say, like, our highest rated book ever. Not my favorite book I've ever read. But I was like, this was a, like, masterpiece. It was. I mean, I think that if you have... And I had never read this book. And I don't think I even knew very much about it beforehand. I've never seen the movie or any adaptation. And I'm just kind of appalled at myself. At the same time, I feel like... 
you shouldn't read this book unless you're at a point in your life where you have the time to like mm. actually sit and enjoy it. Don't read this book with a deadline. And yeah. also don't read this book when you're just like busy being like a fucking hoe. Like you need to <laughs> like sit down and really have time to like think about your your own life and your own life, how it relates to this book. So I think yeah. that that, I, I feel like I am not a better person, but like more in touch with my own psyche after reading this book than I was prior to reading this book. And I think that that's like a huge testament to a work of art. And I also like what you said, like I was just thinking when I read this book, if I had had to read this shit in high school, I would have fucking hated it. Me too. I would have been like, are you kidding me? You're like reading 500 pages about, exactly, like 500 pages about farming. Shut up. I'm going to be tested on this. Mm -hmm. Um, I felt like, and this is one of the beautiful things about books is they just come to you at the right point. And sometimes yeah. they don't. I bet there's good books. And I bet there's terrible books that I love just because I read them at the right time. But this was something where I was like, I'm so grateful that I didn't read this. Yeah. Until I was 30 and had had like many failed relationships. Yeah. And, you know, lots of therapy. I don't even 100% remember how we picked this book. But I'm really happy that we did. Me too. But and also, just like, also, we read so many pages, Brandy. We, we did. are like real intellectuals. I feel now. really good about it, actually. And I'm excited about doing this podcast so this is our last episode for the year 18 this was like quite the high note to end on and we have a giveaway for this book too Uh, so honestly i would of all the books we've read this is the one i would want to win the most because it's something that is like good to have on your shelf to come back to over and over again yes um and so if you, we're going to make this one a little bit easier for folks to win as well. If you've already won one of our giveaways, like, yay, I'm really excited. You are our favorite people because you participate in all of our fun giveaways and listen to the podcast. Um, but we're going to do this one on Twitter instead of on Instagram. So what I want you to do is to tweet us, um, tweet at Let's Get Lit Pod. Um, the first line of the book that you're reading right now just as a testament because the first line of Anna Karenina is so amazing. So tweet us the first line of the book that you're reading now and we will um, end the giveaway on January 5th and then who we will uh, retweet our, our winner and let you know and um, hopefully get this in the mail to you pretty quickly after that. We'll mail it to you next year, okay? Yeah, get ready. <laughs> Um, so yeah, next episode coming to you next year. We're not going to, so we should probably tell them we're not going to be reading a book for our next episode. We're going to do a little bit of recap and some other fun stuff for you and kind of let you know what our plans are for the new year. Yeah. I think in the next episode, we're going to talk a little bit about what we've read in 2018 and then, like you said, what the plans are and what we're going to read in 2019. And we'd love your input. If you guys have any suggestions about books we should read next year, please let us know. Tweet us, Instagram us, at us. What else, Brandy, you're the social media maven? Oh, we have a Goodreads. So if you're not part of our Goodreads book club or our friend on Goodreads, that's prime time. Um, but also I just want to say thank you for you for listening. This has been a really fun thing for us to do and it's super incredible that there's people out there actually listening and, you know, emailing us and hanging out with us on social media. It's really, really fun because we set out this whole thing just to not be alone in our pajamas, drinking wine and talking about books, but to have like a little community that's doing it with us. So we love you. I love you. It's super exciting. And I hope that you stick with us next year too. I mean, can't reiterate enough how much we love you. Brandy and I, like, every single time someone sends us a message, 
on any platform. Yeah. We just screenshot back and forth and we're like, oh my god, oh my god. And then we, we, friends. we definitely stalk you on the internet and are like, yeah. look at how pretty she is. Look yeah. at her dog. Oh my god, she's such a good person. Yeah. So, I mean. We want to be your friends. So we we're really be happy friend. when you reach out because we, <laughs> we like friend request people and like like people's pictures and stuff pretty frequently. And I don't. It's not always like, reciprocated. Yeah, exactly. So it's really, it makes us happy when you like us back. So, yeah. um, thank you. Thank you. And if you're not already lit, you know what to do. See you next year. Bye. Bye.